Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Mark Edworthy, founder of Burrington Estates, a company at the forefront of high-quality new residential and commercial development in the West Country. Mark, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the program today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? For me, it's somebody who sets a very clear vision for his the, the, the thing he's leading, whether that be a company, a sports team, um, or whatever. And um, I think that's the number one job of a of a leader. Um, after that is to be very consistent and clear with, with that vision. Clarity um, is, of course, two. very, very important in leadership. I'm sorry, I exactly. interrupted. Please uh, carry on. Yeah. Um, and number three is, I think, to lead by example. So to um, do everything that you can to live your vision and to adhere to the values that you are trying to get your team to um, follow. So they're my top three, I would say. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Um, I would say um, collaborative. So I try to um, be very collaborative with the people I'm, I'm, I'm working with and encourage collaboration amongst our teams. Um, I'm very high energy, very hard working and uh, focused. So try to exude those values so that those working around me come with me. Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you first started out your working life. Were there any particular influences on you, whether it be uh, an individual or a set of circumstances that really formed the way that you lead today? Uh, I think number one being my father, who sadly died at 57 um, when I was about uh, 28. So uh, he was you know, in a leadership position himself. Uh, he's, he worked for big companies for a lot of his life, but then for the last 10 years of his life ran his own company. So um, he was also high energy, also focused, also very clear on what he was trying to achieve. And um, he would be my number one inspiration. Um, and um, I guess throughout my initial part of my career, I worked for big companies. And there's two or three people I work for um, who, who I was very impressed with and was very happy to follow their leadership. So I was lucky to work in some very dynamic companies. I started at Mobile Oil, um, went to Booz Allen, and then ended up at Merrill Lynch. So I guess uh, all three were you know, American companies, but working for them in the, in the UK. And all very organized companies, all very clear structures, very clear goals, very clear training. Um, so beyond my father, I guess the people that have inspired me, the people I, I worked with in, in my early career. 
it's excellent to be able to have that sort of a legacy that lives on. Do you try and pass this on to those you work with today? Well, we're in property. So one of the things I most like about our business is we are creating legacy. We not only build new buildings that are here forever, but we've also managed to regenerate older buildings. So we regenerated a a derelict hospital uh, into a wonderful set of apartments, offices, and the restaurant and centre of Exeter, built in 1743. Uh, gorgeous red brick Jordan building, and we managed to breathe life back into that. Mm. Um, we've regenerated a, a big glass building in Plymouth, which was built 30 million 20 years ago. A wonderful bit of um, architecture by St. Nicholas Grimshaw, which again was derelict when we bought it. And we, we breathed life into that and created a thousand new jobs. So uh, I guess we are in the legacy game in, the, in this business. And that's what I love the most about it is, you know, previously I was in um, finance, um, uh, but, you know, now we're in creating, you know, wonderful places to live and work, building enduring communities and improving quality of lives. That's our mission. And in doing so, we are, we are creating legacy. Um, so, yeah, very excited about that word legacy and very focused on achieving that for within our company. Of course, those are all very impressive achievements. Um, and with your staff, uh, they obviously are doing their part. But uh, I'd like to ask you a question about the times in which uh, people aren't up to snuff. Um, Everyone has bad days uh, and people are certainly not infallible. How do you handle conflict within the workplace? Um, to be honest, it's one of my um, weaknesses, I would say, and something I've been working on with my own business mentor and business coach. Um, so it's something I have to to work on personally. And I think the key with managing people is to give them very regular feedback because a mistake I've made in the past is to let things go, let things go and then blow up and at the end. Mm. So what I've been learning, what I've been trying to focus on is um, giving people regular feedback, you know, along the journey so that, that they're very clear, you know, why, why they're disappointing you or why they're not up to scratch to give them a chance to, to adjust and improve. So I think really good leadership is about um, giving people very regular um, and accurate feedback. In fact, a friend of mine asked me to read a book called Radical Candle, which is a very good book in terms of it lays out exactly as the title, which is to be um, give people, you know, as I said, very clear feedback and candid feedback um, regularly. And it's actually people end up respecting you a lot more for that. And it's the best way to turn people around. Now let's talk about particular leaders. Are there any particular leaders who inspire you? Um, I guess in the business world, um, I, I, I have followed a lot of great business leaders. So I was fascinated with Steve Jobs and his, his life. Um, watched all the films about him, read all of his books. And he was very clear in that, what, what I said at the start of my talk, which is his job was to set the vision and to be really clear about his vision. And, you know, I think 
the story of Apple when he was involved initially and when he left and how, how badly it deteriorated. And now um, when he came back, you know, he completely refocused the company. And the you know, focus was his key key mantra, and it turned that company around. And um, uh, Cook had done a brilliant job in taking over from him, following his principles. And obviously, Apple's the most valuable company in the world now. Um, and uh, I guess another guy, Elon Musk, who's you know, truly inspirational, also very clear on his goals. You know, slightly mad goals, but uh, he's, he's driven that you know, SpaceX and Tesla. You know, fantastically well. Um, so I guess they're, they're number one and two in my inspiring business leaders. Our third one, I guess, would be Warren Buffett. I guess I follow him a lot. Mm-hmm. Again, an incredibly focused man, incredibly um, sticking to his his key principles. And you know, it's it's, it's been a winning strategy for him. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Burlington Estates? Yeah, we're on a very focused growth plan. Um, and, you know, um, in, in two ways. One, in terms of our housing business, um, which we're taking to different regions. We're in the southwest currently, but we're opening up in the Midlands region of the UK and the East Anglian region of the UK. And doing more of our vision, so creating these amazing places to live and work. We're very excited for the project we just bought, which is an 86-acre parkland site on the outskirts of Exeter, which will combine um, employment space for over 2,000 people, 150 homes, a leisure club, um, tennis courts, running tracks. Uh, so an amazing place to live and work. And we're looking to deliver on those projects and look for more of those projects um, so that we can really achieve our vision. Um, and I'm tremendously excited about the future of the company. We've got a great team of people um, and uh, yeah, the UK market hopefully is set uh, to, to grow nicely and we're going to be delivering into that. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you today, Mark, and I very much hope to have you back on the program at some point in the near future. Mark, thank you. Thank you. That was Mark Edworthy, founder of Burrington Estates. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did... Uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool many, many years ago, 1962 I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time, it was lucky to be <laughs> playing I guess, one or two injuries, um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports, that was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time 
being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm-hmm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, w- would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player if you like not as a, a guy with the same age group as me and I looked at how he how he uh, trained how he acted how he behaved and how he played and so he he would say I would also say he was a big influence on me one thing I would say about leadership uh, what I do uh, I do understand clearly in all walks of life leadership is at the top is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business mm-hmm football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, 
uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alfred Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, up naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Grease in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the 
prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had we were very I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals um, we have some great players but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with you know over the years and Jeff I've got to ask and I'm, I'm not making this up I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both they're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked: Did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's." Uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance around, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You've you got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses itself, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> What a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. 
Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but no, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, laugh, if you if you could put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing 
And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath and there was nobody and I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard-nosed professionals good good teammates mm. good socially and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago of course with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers we, we still got on our wives got on all together all those years later it didn't just finish after '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We had some great players, we had some great players, of course, but without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word is team. team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking—if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single minded. Uh, Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks 
um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, Bruce. Good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.